Hello, and welcome to the Living Room Disciple Podcast. We are so glad you're here. And in our journey towards being formed into the image of Christ, today we are talking about a controversial topic. We're going to be talking about hell. What does the Bible really say about hell? How has the idea of hell been weaponized by Christians in ways foreign to scripture? How does our view of hell shape our view of God? And how does that shape us to be more or less like Christ? This was a fascinating discussion and we hope it's a blessing to you. So let's jump into this episode of the Living Room Disciple Podcast, where discipleship finds a home. Welcome back to the Living Room Disciple uh, episode two. And I'm really excited to be here again with my good friend, Nick O'Brien. Nick, thanks for joining me. How's it going? Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. It is. It is going well. My name is Phil Snyder, and uh, this is the second episode of our soft launch of the Living Room Disciple podcast, and we're really excited that you're on this journey with us. And uh, just before the show started, uh, Nick and I were commenting on the fact that our second episode theme, as you probably saw in the title of the show, is maybe a little odd, but there's a good reason for it, I promise. We're going to be talking about <laughs> hell and damnation, and I feel like I shouldn't laugh when I say that, but there's also that sense of tension and awkwardness where I feel like laughing uh, helps me overcome that. Ease the so, discomfort, for sure. Yeah, right? Um, which that could be its whole conversation point, too. Why do we laugh through right. awkwardness? But right. Another day. Another day. So we had a different episode planned. We had a different topic planned. Uh, and we were, you know, chatting in Slack about it, preparing. And, you know, we have a, a phone call every other week that I try not to make about the podcast. I just want to just hang out. Um, but you're teaching a sermon at the church that you are a worship pastor at. And you were mm-hmm. really excited about the content. And I was asking questions and I was really interested. And at some point <laughs> we said, hey hold on, we need to stop talking about this. <laughs> this needs to be a podcast. And hence, uh, and, and now we're here. So tell us a little bit, Nick, about this sermon that you are going to be preaching here in the next few weeks. Yeah. And then I'm going to pick your brain about the topic of damnation. <laughs> Love it. Um, so quick, short backdrop. I've, over the past couple of years, just come to this realization of how prominent the kingdom of God is, especially in the Gospels. It is the thing that Jesus cannot seem to stop talking about. He goes around proclaiming the kingdom and healing the sick and casting out demons, and it's all part of his work to proclaim and bring about the kingdom of God. Um, and so in thinking about this, this kingdom of God idea, um, I started really wondering if Jesus brought the kingdom 2,000 years ago, why is this world still so messed up, right? Um, If if he started bringing the kingdom of love and light, why is there still so much hatred and darkness? Um, 2,000 years later, seems like we should have made some progress by now. Um, And so somebody pointed me to the parable. Exactly. Um, So that's a question I wrestled with a lot. And somebody pointed me to the parable of the wheat and the tares, um, which is essentially this parable where it says a landowner goes and sows good seed to plant wheat in a field. And while everybody is sleeping, um, an enemy comes in and plants seeds of weeds, seeds of weeds 
Um, and <laughs> the weeds begin to grow up, and the, the yeah. servants of the landowner ask the question, didn't you plant good seed? Where, where did these weeds come from? Which is my exact yeah. question. Jesus, when you came, didn't you plant good seed? What's all this? What are all these weeds doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Jesus goes on to say it's an enemy that did this. Um, and so mm-hmm. I was in the sermon planning meeting that our staff has um, every couple of months, and that parable came up as an option to preach, and I quickly snagged it because it's been a parable that's meant a lot to me. But what the parable goes on to say is that humans, the, the servants, should not go out and collect the weeds because they will accidentally pull up wheat as well if they try to do that. We are terrible judges of character. Um, hmm. Man judges by the outward appearance and God judges by the heart, right? And so it says that when the day of, of reaping comes, that the harvesters will go out and collect the weeds to toss them out and burn them where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so I got to that yeah. part of the parable and was like, all right, I've got to do some digging into the concept of hell. And so here we are talking about hell on the podcast. And just to like level set with everyone listening to, um, you know, Nick is kind of fresh researching very much in this topic right now. And I'll give a little bit of background. I, I feel like I might be a, a fairly decent plumb line for most people listening. So I... Uh, come from a church tradition. My very first experience with church was from a, 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 in a Baptist um, church that um, preached that there is a hell. Um, and that was kind of in my teenage years. I, I never really questioned whether or not there was a hell. And then most of my formative Christian years uh, were early on in um, uh, a church from the Calvary Chapel vein of, of theology, which also taught there was a hell pretty unapologetically. And uh, it wouldn't be until my early 20s that I, I really started to hear other thinkers that kind of questioned the existence of hell. Um, but for me, you know, I, I still hold to a fairly what I would consider traditional or, or I think orthodox view of hell, though I, I maybe, maybe I'm not as orthodox as I think. But I try not to think about it. <laughs> And to be honest, like I, I right. try to just avoid it as a topic. I talk about scripture all the time. I talk about Jesus all the time. Um, talking is what I get paid to do. And I generally don't focus my conversations on damnation, though yeah. I acknowledge that Jesus did very often. So I think it's an area of growth for me. And so but actually not as in, often as you might think. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? <laughs> no, you keep going. We'll come back to that. Okay. So I... I, I, as I'm, I'm going to dig in, I'm going to ask Nick questions a lot, hopefully representing a lot of the questions that people outside this pod might be thinking. But, and here's, here's the key, and, and I want to bring us back to the point of our conversations, hopefully all of our conversations going forward, which is this, asking the question, how does my theology or my thought process about this topic, in this case, hell and damnation, how is that going to form and shape me to be more or less like Christ? Because sure. as much as it'd be really nice and convenient to have our thoughts on ideas separated from our actions, that's just not how we mm. work. Um, For sure. And although it's not a one-to-one perfect correlation, you know, what I think and believe will impact how I live and how I act. And so we want to try to wrestle and at least attempt in, in good faith to get to the heart of accurate and, and, and healthy theology. But as we do that, we want to acknowledge, you know, if we don't hold to this, 
here's where we could go astray in our actions. Or if we do hold to this, but we but we maybe color it the wrong way or approach it with the wrong heart and mentality, this is where we could go astray here and, and try to mm-hmm. do our best to, to model for everyone out there wrestling through this. So tell me a little bit about what does Jesus say based on your own research and reading? What is what is uh, you know the author and perfecter of our faith say about hell? Yeah. Um, so first, let me just piggyback off of what you were just saying about the way our theology impacts our our actual mm-hmm. lives, our actions, um, our attitudes, our thoughts. And I've been surprised to find as I've dug, and I let me say I also come from a very similar background as as you do, Phil. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm not pushing back at all against. Um, the theology of, of hell or the belief in hell, um, but I do think hell has often been weaponized to be to be a fear tactic and a strategy to scare souls into heaven, some type of fire insurance policy. Yeah, well, that's than, why I come to Jesus, Nick, because I don't want to go to hell. Right, right, exactly. isn't that? And then <laughs> that's how I Jesus is nothing child. more than right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do want to push away from that and actually yeah. see what, what the Bible says. And what I've been shocked to find is that looking deeper into the theology of hell has actually made me discover that God is even better than I thought he was, which is not mm. what I expected when I started looking at damnation. I expected to have to wrestle with some things that made yeah. me question my faith and question, is God really good? And that's been the exact opposite of what happens or what has happened to me. Um, so you're saying what you I found. You don't feel like you have to make excuses for God, because that's right. how I feel right. about when I talk to, to especially non-believers or young believers about hell. Is I feel this compulsion to be God's editor, to yes. to make excuses, which is not right. That's not good. That's just the temptation that right. I experience. Right, for sure. Um, and so I think a lot of us have this view of hell as this torture chamber where God can fling his unworthy mm-hmm. subjects, the ones who don't bow their knee to him and worship him, he just gets to fling them there and torture them for all of eternity because they have deemed themselves unworthy of his blessing of heaven. And that is not the way the Bible talks about hell. Um, so Jesus only, the reason I said that that Jesus doesn't talk about damnation as often as you think is Jesus only uses the word hell, and there's two words for hell in the New Testament. There's both Hades, which is kind of this the Greek underworld or the Greek idea of, of just going down to the grave. Um, and then there's Gehenna. Gehenna was a literal place outside the city of Jerusalem that was best known for, in the Old Testament, Gehenna is ma- mentioned several times as a place of child sacrifice to idolatrous gods. So it's mm-hmm. this horrible place um, that reminds Israel of their time of idolatry and injustice, where they would literally throw their own children into smoldering fires. They, they lit the fires of hell themselves. Um, and so what hell is in the New Testament is it's this picture of fires burnt outside of the holy city of God that are then a place that humans, by their own choice, by their own idolatry, by their own desires and selfishness um, and violence and all of the sin that we bring into the world, we march ourselves into hell rather than God throwing us into hell. Um, so there's there's this line that I love um, from from a pastor named John, or actually a leadership coach named named John Maxwell. Um, I watched a sermon from him once where he said that if you want to get to hell, you have to step over the cross of Christ to get there. Um, well, Jesus I, died on the cross to pull us out of that situation. I want to push back against that a little bit. Not yes, I don't I don't want to necessarily like say that's wrong. Mm-hmm. 
but I think it doesn't sound right. And what I mean by yeah. that is, you know, I'm I'm thinking about plenty of people whom I love who, um, you know, would, would not uh, confess Christ as Lord, that do not believe uh, Christ was raised from the dead, which Paul writes in Romans, you know, is kind of this, you know, if you, if you believe in your heart that, that God uh, raised him from the dead and confess from your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he, he tells us this is what it brings uh, salvation. I think that's an oversimplification. There's other verses, but that's what I'm trying to say is there are individuals who I know who don't hold that belief. And so I would say are right. not saved, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think they would say, I want to go and instead experience eternal torment, right? Like, right. Right. You know, I think they would say things like, I want to be a good person and I, and I want to, you know, make a positive impact on the world and, you know, and, but I just don't hold to this personal faith. And I think I know where this is going and, and I have my own kind of a thoughts on that, but yeah. rebuttal that a little bit for me, right? Tell me how that can be true that someone does not, <laughs> is not checking the box for, I would like to spend right. the rest of my eternity in hell, please. And yet still be able to say with a good conscience that people are choosing hell. Can you can you help me with that? For sure. So let me first throw the caveat that we, again, are terrible judges. We are not to separate mm. the weeds from the wheat. It is not up to us to say, I think that person is going to hell and that person's going mm. to heaven. Some of the people that we look up to as fantastic Christians. I mean, we had the, the Raz, Rabbi Zacharias scandal um, yeah. a few months ago where this prominent apologist turns out was, was behind closed doors acting as a terrible person and not bearing Christian fruit. Um, mm. Whereas you have other people who you might look down upon who might be tremendous Christians and you have no idea because they're not letting their right hand see what their left hand is doing. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we should not be the ones to make those judgment calls. Um but yeah, that's a, a fantastic question, Phil. Um, and I think what it comes down to is, of course, nobody's going to say, I, I would rather be tormented in hell than have to spend time with God. Um, but there are some New Testament ideas of, think of the, the story of the prodigal son, where the, the prodigal returns home, the father throws him a feast, which sounds a lot like the way that Jesus describes the day of judgment, or after the day of judgment, the wedding supper of the lamb. The father throws a feast, but the older brother refuses to go into the feast because he holds this grudge against his younger brother. If he gets to be in there, then I don't want to be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, or you have the story of the rich young ruler who Jesus says, the way to get to eternal life is you need to sell your possessions and give to the poor. And it says that the rich yeah. young ruler turned around and walked away sad because he couldn't part with his possessions. So it's not about saying, I would rather burn in hell than spend any time with yeah. God. It's more about I'm, I can't part with my possessions or I can't be there if he's going to yeah. be there. So something, it's, it's almost like an addiction where, and not, not to make light of, of addiction, but it's just such a great example of, of people will literally hold on to the very thing that's killing them um, and allow, allow themselves to walk into destruction. Um, there's this beautiful line in Psalm 7 that talks about how the wicked will, will dig a pit for others and then fall into it themselves, how their violence mm-hmm. will come back on their own heads. Um, and really we're to the theology of the cross that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have chosen at one time or another to walk the path towards hell. And the question that we need to answer is, will we let Jesus heal us? Will we let him make us people that are fit for the kingdom of God? Because none of us can do that on our own. We're all, we all walk the path, um, the, the wide road to destruction, right? 
Um, so the question is, will we accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross, be baptized into his life, let him clothe us, and then walk the, the narrow road, the narrow gate into the kingdom of God for eternity? I think that's really powerful too. It reminds me that in, in, in the New Testament's expression of following Christ, that there is surrender is, is, a, is a distinct yeah. and crucial part of that. Um, and you, I think the rich young ruler is a classic example, but that goes well beyond it. it, it Paul tells us to pick up a cross, um, and, mm. and to follow Christ. And although I think it's an imperfect analogy that we, that, that can be kind of torn apart at different edges, the core idea that I have been a person, many people listening have been people who are holding on to something very unhealthy um, I, you know, we'll use right now uh, cell phones. I think most people probably listening to this podcast on their phone have a, hmm. a duality in their own mind, an acknowledgement that they spend too much time on their phone, that, that when they think about their ideal life, it actually does not involve that phone, that they want to look in their kids' eyes more, that they want to be a part of their kids' lives hmm. more, that they want to be more engaged with their spouse, that they want to be, you know, more in touch with their friends outside of a cellular device and yet still choose every day to have that be the first thing they see when they wake right. up. And so I think that there's a level of, of like, I get how that's a continuation of human nature, right? A continuation of human right. nature would be, I think of the story, uh, I, I think it's a parable, though I've heard some people consider it literal because it's the only parable that Jesus tells with a name. I think you know where I'm going with this. So yep. there, Jesus, Jesus gives a parable of, um, you know, a rich man who's not named, who has this beggar who lives outside of his home named Lazarus. And again, this is, you know, the only parable in which Jesus gives someone a name. And, uh, you know, it comes to pass that Lazarus dies and is, and is comforted in, I think Jesus used the word Sheol, um, is comforted with Abraham and Abraham's bosom, uh, which has a whole lot of question marks that we're not going to get into today about that. But hmm. then... Uh, the rich man dies, and he goes to what I think Jesus uses uh, the terms Gehenna that he uses in that story. Though someone, you know, check me. And the rich man is is in torment, and he looks out and he sees Lazarus with Abraham, and he calls out and he says, you know, which is so interesting. He tells Abraham to send Lazarus. Like he's still treating Lazarus like right. a less than, you know, like a servant mm -hmm. to dip a little water on his tongue. And, uh, you know, Abraham says, no, he says, in fact, there's a chasm between us that we cannot cross. And then he says, we'll send Lazarus to, you know, my brothers and my, and my father and tell them what's coming to which he says, they have the law, Moses and the prophets, which would be an indication of right. the scriptures. Right. And, you know, if, if they can't believe through scriptures, then, you know, someone coming back from the dead won't convince them, which is very interesting mm. foreshadowing about Christ. And I think it's interesting because in that story, the reason I bring it up is the rich man is not repentant. Right. He does not want to give up his own ways. He has mm -hmm. not been asked. He did not ask Abraham to pull him out of that torment. Now, that's me reading into a parable. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe that wasn't the point that Jesus was trying to get across, but... 
it does seem to bring some understanding to this idea that we wouldn't say that people choose hell like they check a box and they say, I would like to go to, to hell, please. But instead, it's as simple. They don't choose the submission and the sacrifice that comes with following Christ. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a Bible verse that would tell us that hell or damnation is separation from God. I'm trying to remember where it's at. Can we Google specific... in the middle of a podcast? <laughs> we can. I'm, we can. I'm doing do, I'm doing do it. Do it. Do it. I think the I mean the parable you're talking about can be a good example of the the chasm between um, Abraham's bosom and the place where the rich man is with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, but yeah, that's that's a, a fascinating parable you bring up because the rich man is brought to the place he to to this hellish place and what we see is he's still completely turned in on himself. He refuses to acknowledge God. He refuses to acknowledge Lazarus's dignity. He refuses to acknowledge um, that Lazarus has any purpose beyond even just going to, to his family. He thinks his family has more status and dig- dignity and honor than than Lazarus has because Lazarus is his servant and has a skin disease and all of these things that, that make him less than in, in Roman culture. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, I think that's a, a perfect example of, of what we're talking about here, that, that this rich man is so turned in on himself. St. Augustine has this beautiful teaching about how those who are turned outwards towards others, those who are, are reaching towards others in love and sacrifice and submission and service are curved outwards. And because they're curved outwards, they're always growing bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and becoming fit for the king, the city of God. Mm. Whereas those that are turned inwards are curved inwards and constantly bunched up in themselves. They're constantly making themselves smaller until they mm. essentially become shadows of themselves and disappear off the map entirely. And whether, yeah. whether that's in hell or death or whatever you want to want to call it. Um, but being curved inwards, um, eventually destroys you. For the record, I did not, in my two-second Google search, find <laughs> that verse. So if anybody knows, feel free to send us an email. Uh, email will be in the show notes, uh, and we'll, we'll send updates accordingly. Um, okay, so I want to I segue a little bit. So let's just assi- let's assume we're talking about two people who both are sacrificing for the Lord, are in alignment to the best of their understanding with God's will, they are fought, they have bent their knee to Jesus. They, we would consider them saved. Why does it matter to believe in an eternal damnation for the unsaved? Right. So if we take person A, right, maybe they have that orthodox belief, but person B, maybe doesn't want to believe in heaven or believe in hell and chooses to believe that everyone is eventually covered in God's mercy, which right. I want to believe that, you know, I, I don't hold to <laughs> that, that belief. And, but, but there's, I want to, right? Like I, I there's, we've had no conversations doubt. like this before. There are a few theological things that I, I want <laughs> to disagree with myself. <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't, I'm not excited about the idea of hell, right? Like I'm not excited about that in any way, shape or form. Right. I wish someone could convince me to, to hold, you know, convince me that the scriptures say something different, but that's, that's not what I, what I see. So why does it matter 
to hold proper doctrine in yeah. this topic. Okay, so now we are to the reason that this this doctrine has actually made me believe that God is even better than I thought he was. Um, mm. So let me ask you, Phil, what went wrong with God's creation the first time? Uh, well, I, mean, I mean, two things, people, um, but also, <laughs> I mean, there was the work of Satan, mm-hmm. um, right? The enemy who, who uh, deceived um, Adam and Eve and convinced them to disobey God uh, by eating right. from the fruit. Mm-hmm. So that's, am I, am I, is this, am spot I, am on. I, am I correct, Pastor spot Nick? On. Okay. Spot right. on. Spot <laughs> on. So, so God creates this perfect, beautiful garden paradise and charges Adam and Eve to go and spread the garden to all creation, to, yeah. to fill God's world with his glory and his light. Um, and what happens instead, instead is an invader comes into the garden and convinces them to do exactly mm-hmm. the opposite, to bring darkness into the garden. Yeah. Um, the kingdom of God, the renewed heaven and earth, the new Jerusalem, there are a million names for it, um, but eternal life here on earth as it is in heaven, an invader will never be allowed in again. So what hell is, hell is the destination for the serpent, hell is the de- destination for Satan, hell is the destination for sin and evil and darkness and wickedness. Unfortunately, some people will follow their wickedness and darkness there. So hell is not a place that God made to torture people. Hell is a place that is created by sin, created by darkness. Just as humans lit the fires in in the literal Gehenna, humans lit the fires to sacrifice their own children to false gods. Um, so the fires of, of, of hell, of Gehenna, are lit by human wickedness, and God will graciously and mercifully allow us to walk that path to hell um, if we refuse to give up our sin because no sin can ever be allowed into the perfect creation ever again. We're not just going to constantly recycle the same story over and over again for all eternity where God yeah. God makes it good and then something corrupts it again and then God makes it good and then no. Um, and so to be in the new creation, to be made fit for the new creation means we must take on the cross of Christ. We must allow, this is, this is atonement theology, right? He makes us, he cleanses us, cleanses us of our sin, but that's not just some intellectual forgiveness. It's also a, you're not going to be able to sin anymore because no more sin will be allowed into the new creation. Mm. Um, and then it, it adds this new layer of to the verse in Revelation. I can't remember if it's 21 or 22, but at the end of Revelation, there's this verse where it says, every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. Um, and we will be able to perfectly forgive anybody that's hurt us because we know that they will never never be able to hurt us again. Um, we will never be able to hurt anybody else again, and there will be perfect reconciliation and restoration in the kingdom of God. But can't God make everything you just said happen mm-hmm. through the atoning blood of Christ over all people? Right. Right? And... and you know, I, I know I'm kind of playing the other side here, but uh, but I think that's a very legitimate yeah. thought, right? And and again, for sure, one I want to believe, right? Like I, for sure, you know, I have loved ones who whom I I, I, I call them loved ones because I love them. I right. desire good for them. I I have my own children, right? Like I know what it's like to hold a child and hold good things for them. Um, 
I don't know what it's like mm. to look at a child and to allow them to walk out a harmful path in their life. Mm. Uh, now, I should know, I, I don't have adult children, so I haven't gotten to that stage, right? And so there, there could be some immaturity on my own end. But I think you know where I'm going with this. And um, yeah, for, sure. for the record, I have my own responses even to those questions I think people would be asking, but I'd love to hear from you first. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, why, Nick, why not just just believe that God is gracious and he is and God is merciful and he is and God is just, but we also understand that he's able to bring justice in my life through the, the, the atoning sin of Christ. And so why not? Right. Why not everybody? Someone else. Yeah. yeah, Why not everybody? (laughs) Yeah. That is a great question. Um, the, the main answer that comes to mind for me, I, I forget who said it, but there was a theologian that said that this basic longing that you and I have for, why can't God just save everybody um, comes from basically suburban comfort of, of wanting yeah. this just um, easy, peace-filled um, kind of world um, that is totally separated from the truth of injustice in our world. Yeah. And just to say, yeah, God's just going to go ahead and let everybody in discards the experience of those who have been under the boot of the empire, those who have been oppressed, those who have been... Um, put through countless struggles because of injustice. And, and you and I have both faced different injustices, but, but nothing that compares to um, yeah. people that are truly persecuted or oppressed around the world. Um, yeah. And so when the New Testament is written, and most of the, or I think all of the apostles are Israelites under Roman oppression, and then they are further persecuted because of their Christianity and Christian faith and calling Jesus Lord under the Lordship of Caesar, um, because they lived in that context or in the old testament the prophets are living in a time where where israel is regularly torn apart by war and um, separated into the northern and southern kingdom and exiled into babylon and there's constant oppression and um just being under the the boot of the empire so to speak and so from that socio-political context from that kind of situation it doesn't sound nearly as appealing to just say, God, just let everybody in. Because from that type of situation, yeah. you, you want to see justice. You want to see God take care of the injustices of the world. And not to say that we want any any person to suffer or to end up in hell or to end up outside of the city gates of the New Jerusalem. Um, but you want to see injustice taken care of. And um, so, I mean, Hitler is the, the easy example. I don't, yeah. I'm not allowed to, to judge wheat and weeds. I'm not allowed to say whether Hitler's going to be in the, the new kingdom or not, because that's up to God. He will he will avenge, and that's not for me to do. I think Hitler's probably going to have a really hard time repenting, it would be my guess. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm not allowed to guess. Um, and so, Hitler, Hitler what talk. Hitler did, sorry, oh, what Hitler on. did <laughs> will be paid for, will there yeah. will be justice for his actions, for the actions of the empire he, he sat on top of. Um, but whether Hitler himself will be in hell or not, I don't know. I do, at some point, we need to have a conversation about that a little bit. I do think the Bible gives us some leeway. You know, Christ gives us some um, criteria, for example, you will know them. I, I don't think he right, leaves us right, right. fully absent, but we can talk about that another time. As we're coming yeah. to an end, I, I want to share some thoughts, too, that so I'm really in agreement for the record, um, with everything you, you said, Nick, really. And I, and I want to add a little bit of flavor and, and some thoughts 
to, to I think, Please lead me with. And, and I'd love to hear kind of your, your response to that. You know, one of the things that I, so, so I, I pastor a church in my home, and we've been going through the book of Romans. And we, fin- we read through Romans 9 two weeks ago. And Romans 9 is a tough set of scripture. So the, the, the book of Romans is really a, a, quite a, a bit of a pu- pu- push and pull uh, that Paul is, is, is kind of going through. Lots of sent, you know, verses that out of context can be very, well, actually in context can be very condemning. Uh, and then, you know, some of the, 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 the most quoted verses of grace and mercy abound in that book. And really what Paul is trying to do is, is create an understanding in us that we are fully fallen creatures saved by grace. So Romans 8, one of the most quoted books of the Bible. This is where we get all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes and all these kind of things. Romans 9, which is why you should read books of the Bible in one go <laughs> at some point, right? If you're going to study a book of the Bible, at least especially one of the epistles, read it from start to finish before or after you are done studying it to get everything in context. But Romans 9 is very interesting because in Romans 9, Paul is talking about his hurt and his pain that many of his Jewish brethren will perish and spend time in, 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 go to hell. Really, is what he's talking about. He even at one point wrestles with this idea that he wishes he could give up his own salvation for the sake of his brethren and kind of laments that he can't, which is such intense language. Well, he gets to this point where he talks about some Old Testament examples that I want to go over very briefly because I think they really matter to, to what I'm about to get to. So I apologize for the long road here. He he gives this example of, um, of Esau, who uh, Esau and Jacob were born uh, twins. And Jacob was the second in, in this, right? So Jacob came out second. Esau was, was technically born first. So Esau should have inherited, um, you know, all, all the things from his father, Isaac. But there's an Old Testament verse that says, God speaking, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And he, God made that determination about Jacob and Esau while they were children in the womb. Before that, he talks about Abraham. Paul writes about Abraham. And Abraham had two children. Um, the first was Ishmael, who he had through, you know, conceiving his, with his wife's con- or, uh, uh, servant. And, um, and Ishmael doesn't even get a, a name call here. It gets fully ignored. And, and Paul writes that the entire descendancy was from Abraham's rightful son and the only son of uh, the promise. Um, and then Paul writes this, kind of asks the question that we all should be asking, like, how can God be just if he makes these like decisions about children without these, this is before Ishmael did anything good or bad. This is before Esau did anything good or bad. And so this is where, you know, such a good question. The Bible really does address its own complexities more often than we give it credit mm. for. 
And Paul's answer, I think, needs to some extent be the answer that we also allow to really, really form us. Paul just quotes God, who says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I think that's really important because we have to ask ourselves the question when we're talking about almost any biblical matter, but I think specifically uh, damnation and, and hell, do we serve a God that we submit to? Do we serve a God that we trust knows more than us? Do we serve a God who we trust is a bigger picture than us? Do we serve a God who has the right to do whatever he desires over his creation? And that's a big question because if we get caught up in, in the temptation, for the record, we should study and, and seek to understand God because we love him and we want to get to know him and understand his creation. But, but that desire that I was talking about earlier to edit God's work, which I am tempted with, that um, temptation to cushion the truth that's explicitly um, talked about in the word, whether it be hell or damnation or sexual ethics or um, our stances on social justice or whatever they are, many things that we will talk about on this podcast, if we, we have to trust God and really genuinely believe in the core of who we are, that he is allowed by, by right of who he is to do what he likes. In fact, Paul even poses a rhetorical question, going as extreme, as extreme as he could. I don't believe this question is him saying this is what God does. I think this is him posing a question. He says, so what if God, who he's comparing in this uh, quote, uh, he's using a metaphor of a potter. He says, so what if this potter makes some for common uses or what we would consider like garbage and eventually to be destroyed? What if the potter makes some clay for that destruction and some clay to be glorified. The metaphor being, so what if God created some people for hell and some people for heaven? Now, I don't think that's what God has done. That's not the theological stance I particularly hold to, though some in the church do. I think Paul's giving a rhetorical question, going as extreme as he can to say, so what? He has the right. And that's like really tough to process. And I want to have a lot of empathy if you're listening to this and you're like, that doesn't even sound okay. Hmm. That doesn't sound healthy. That doesn't sound like a God I want to serve and love. And I think that's one of the big important steps in discipleship to Jesus. There comes a point, many points, in which you lack understanding and you have to choose whether or not to submit and to trust. And I, I, I think kind of to come back a little bit to what you were saying earlier, Nick, that choice about whether or not you submit is mm -hmm. kind of the crux question anyways when it comes to... Exactly. You know, I, I don't want to say when it comes to where eternal destination is because that, again, makes it sound like the point is eternal destination. It's not, but mm -hmm. um, if you don't choose... But the point submit, is the kingdom of God and the point submitting is to... To God's kingship, yeah. And if you don't want to submit, he does honor that decision is how I understand the text. Right. I think the question is, will you let me heal you? Will you let my forgiveness on the cross heal you of your sin? Yeah. Will you let me make you a kingdom person versus um, 
choosing not to be. And and I also want to point out in Romans 9 um, that both uh, Ishmael and Esau are the rightful firstborn that should inherit their father's blessing, yeah. and neither of them do. Um, so so when, when God is, as the potter, speaking to the clay and has the right to, to make a choice, um, what we constantly see through Scripture is God lifts up the lowly over those who think they deserve it and, and go to God and say, I should deserve it, and in selfishness, follow their, their, their own selfishness yeah. to their destruction. Um, so yeah, I just think there's yep. something so beautiful about acknowledging our, our humble status and coming to God and saying, I'm nothing without you. We really would be remiss if we didn't point out something too, that there's, there is choice here. Now, um, you know, different theological stances kind of vary on yeah. that, but, but I think sure. all practitioners of the faith would would agree that we need to be able to say, and I want to say here, that there's still choice in this, that, that, that or that that I would compel you to, um, to take a stance that, I mean, well, I'm just just repeat the words of Paul, right? To, that to believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, yeah. to confess with your mouth that He is Lord, mm-hmm. which means that He gets to dictate all these kind of things. And, and to trust in the character of God that is revealed through Scripture and is revealed through, through God-honoring Christian communities. So much empathy for those of you out there who have not experienced the love and mercy and joy of those communities. Um, and we do, I don't think it's right to apologize, or maybe that's not the right phrasing, but I just have so much empathy for, for many of you who maybe are listening to this and hell has been weaponized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just want to say right now that it is not of the kingdom of God to, to just, you know, d- desire right thinking on all matters just to avoid hell. Um, it's, it's not like that. When we fall in love with Jesus, this is the way I personally word it in my own life, though I think there's other ways to, to phrase it based on your own experiences. But, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are, Nick. But for me, I just, I just fall in love with Christ. And, I, and it's easy because he loved me first. And it's easy because mm. you know, I see what he has done for me um, on the cross. And, and as I fall deeply in love with him, it's not that it's easy to submit. But if I realize that I already submitted when I, when I repented, um, you know, I confessed that the things I was doing were wrong and, and out of alignment with him, and I began to change my mindset in alignment with that repentance, and I began to change my actions in alignment with that repentance, I already began this beautiful walk and intimacy with him. Um, and that's really where the focus needs to be. That doesn't mean we don't acknowledge the reality of those who will not be in um, be in relationship with God in the kingdom of heaven forever. I think there's an act of love to acknowledge the truth that Jesus has put forth in front of us. But it also, you know, I never perceived, maybe he did, maybe you could read it differently, but I don't perceive Jesus' parables, I don't, I don't perceive his teaching as saying, repent, else you'll go to hell, uh, but instead right. as a call to a new type of citizenship, a new right. type of life that is so much more beyond this one and is perfected in the kingdom to come. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a call he says, the kingdom that. has come near, therefore repent. <laughs> mm. Repent call and to believe something the good versus news. a call away from something. Exactly. Yes. Beautiful. Nick, what are the you share the last thoughts? And then <laughs> I we just are ending our wanna, time. <laughs> for sure. We ran over a little bit, but I just wanna Whatever. wanna end by saying in the words of scripture that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom mm-hmm. of the son he loves. That's what it's all about. Nick, you are a real blessing. I am excited to hear your teaching on this topic and Hmm. to hear more about what the Lord is saying. I am confident that we'll handle more conversations around the topic of hell in the future. There's obviously a lot of things we didn't even touch on today. Oh, Um, yeah. A lot of really good questions, like what if somebody never has the opportunity to hear, never has the opportunity to hear about Christ, you know, will they also be saved? So um, we'll talk about that in the future. But um, until then, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope you all have a blessed rest of your day. You have been listening to the Living Room Disciple Podcast, and we are glad that you are here. Throughout the month of March, we are excited to introduce you and others to this brand new endeavor. However, we will be taking the month of April off, so please make sure to subscribe to this podcast so that way you'll hear us in your feeds in May. In fact, we're taking the month off to figure out how to do this even better. There's a survey that we'd love for you to take in the show notes to give us feedback. And also, don't forget to rate the pod. Throughout the month of March, Nick and myself are excited to bring to you five different conversations. Three of them will be between Nick and myself talking about spiritual formation around things like hell and damnation and the idea of living room discipleship. The other two weeks, we'll each be interviewing people who are deeply formative for us, and we're excited to introduce you to them. Huge shout out to our production staff, Anissa Live, and to our marketing manager, Eric Church. Thank you so much for all the work you do. This is a production of the Living Room Disciple Media, and we're glad you're here.